The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all He does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope, whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that you will open our hearts and minds to the message that you have for us today. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Hey, good morning. Great to see you again. And uh, it's wonderful to have you with us wherever you are. I can't believe it's May. Can you believe that it's already May? And, you know, the sun has come out sort of, and we get some May gray. and uh, But anyway, it's really good that uh, we are together this morning. I'm really glad that you're able to tune in. You know, something about it that I've been thinking of is that, in fact, as a staff, we've been talking about this. Somebody said to us that, uh, you know, the a lot of people are saying that we're all in this together. That's what we're seeing in the commercials and the memes and celebrities keep coming on and saying, we're all in this together. And the thing is about that is that it's not entirely true. And somebody else put it this way. He said, you know, we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And that's a really great way of looking at it, because wherever you're at right now, you're in the same storm, you're dealing with the quarantine, and you're dealing with all of the different stuff that we all are, but at the same time, we're not all doing the same thing, and we're not all doing as well as each other. Some of us are struggling quite a bit during this time. Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us have had health concerns. Some of us have had family members die of COVID-19 or even just other diseases that came along, and that's been really difficult. Some of you are enjoying this. I talked to somebody this week who uh, works from home anyway, and he said he hardly notices the difference. And he said, I never know what day it is. This is exactly the same. Anyway, wherever you are, we're really glad that we could come together. And I wanted to encourage you that way as you think of other people, including people in your own household, your spouse or your kids, anybody else who might be living with you, a roommate, uh, your next door neighbors. Keep that in mind, that we are in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And somebody might be dealing with it emotionally differently than you are. 
and people are grieving different things in different ways. And keep that in mind, be graceful with each other, and uh, remember that as the church, we are here to minister to each other and to point people to Christ, who is here for us in every circumstance. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. We're in Psalm number 33 in a series uh, through that we're calling Praying Through the Psalms. We're not going to go through all of them, but we're going through a bunch of them. And uh, I want you to think about those things. Let me get my notes up here. What we're hoping happens here, and what we really want to see is that this is something that helps all of us grow in our faith, that this is an opportunity that is unique in all of our lives, most likely, and wherever it is that you need to begin with that, we hope that you can start. We recognize that many of you who are watching today don't normally go to church anywhere, and maybe you sometimes come to our church and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you go uh, to church on Easter or whenever. Some of you never go. But you are taking this time to evaluate things, because as we look at the world today, we discover that a lot of things that we thought were safe and secure are really not. I mean, even getting a haircut is complicated. A friend of mine uh, in the 90s bought a Floby. Do you remember what that is, some of you? Uh, Floby was this late night thing that they would sell in these infomercials, and it was a haircutting device you would attach to a vacuum cleaner. And you'd put it over your head and go everywhere, and it would just suck up all the hair into it. And uh, people who had a Floby usually had a really bad haircut. And you could say, ah, Floby. Um, well, a friend of mine bought one of those, and he still has it. And he put it on his Facebook, his picture of his Floby, and he says, who's laughing now? You guys all mocked me back in the 90s when I bought this, and you made fun of my hair. But now I'm renting it out. Anyway, you never know what is secure and what isn't. But what is secure is the foundation we have in Jesus Christ. And this has always been true, that our God, who is our creator, who made us in his image, who promised us a savior when we fell, who gave us the prophets and the writings of Moses and the, and the writings of David like we're reading today, all of this stuff pointed to one man, Jesus Christ. And all of history since that date points to him. Even your calendar points back to Jesus Christ and his birth. So we hope that you are able to push aside the different things in our culture, even church culture, that get in the way of the pure gospel, the idea that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, and he means you. And what we're going to learn today is that God is transcendent. He's just great and magnificent and over everything, and he's hard to even comprehend. We can't comprehend him fully, otherwise we'd be God. But something else you should know is that God is also near. That as great as God is, he is also very near to you right now. And I'm praying that each and every one of us is aware of his presence with us right now. You know, the Psalms, as we go through them, they are songs. And if you take a look at a Bible, usually the, the text is written in this sort of different way and, and spaced in a certain way. It's because it was ultimately, uh, it was a song. And some of the Psalms, if you go through and you read them, you'll notice there's some choral directions. And those directions are in the original Hebrew. They're part of the song. So Psalm 61, for example, doesn't really begin with verse 1. We put those verses in later. It begins with a title and instruction. It says, for the director of music with stringed instruments of David. Tells us who wrote it. It's a song of David. And for whatever reason, they felt like, you know what, we really should use stringed instruments with this song and don't use the horns. You know, there was a reason for that. They just felt like it's more appropriate for one reason or another. We don't know what the tune was, obviously, but there was a reason. And they are all songs. And we get so much depth out of these songs. They are rich in symbolism and deeper meaning, just like any piece of poetry or a song. And as you study, you might find 
a Bible with really good cross-references as you go through the Psalms if you're doing some reading, because the Psalms also um, reflect different truths throughout Scripture, and they talk about different stories. You'll be amazed at how they actually reference different Bible books and different stories and different things that people said. Sometimes the Psalms are very are referencing very specific events that the writer obviously knew about, and he was writing about that specifically. But sometimes they are referencing things in the future that the writer couldn't possibly know about. And, who, and the writer, most of the time David, was writing about something in particular he was going through at that moment. So he's writing about his own life. But the way he was inspired to write also points forward. And most of the time, it points forward to a specific thing that would happen later in Israel, or most importantly, points forward to Jesus Christ. A psalm is about a specific thing going on in that psalmist's life, but at the same time, God used it to give parallels to what would happen later in particular with Jesus. Psalm 22, for example, verse 1, "'My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?' the psalmist writes." And then in verse 16 of Psalm 22, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sound familiar? A thousand years later, that would be the story of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. Obviously, David didn't know that when he wrote that. But what we believe is that God, through His Holy Spirit, inspired David to write about his own circumstances, and it points to Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the rock. He is the foundation of our faith. He is the foundation of all of history. It revolves around Him. And everything that you and I are going through right now is not a mystery to God. It is not unexpected. It's part of where God is taking the world. Ultimately, when you go through these psalms, you see things that are very, very profound, and you also see things that are very gritty and very personal and very real. Sometimes people don't like the psalms because some of them are kind of violent, and sometimes he expresses his anger. Lord, knock the teeth out of my enemy, he'll say, or break the arm of my enemy, or he'll wish these things. And as you read through it, he works through that with the Lord, and he makes sure that uh, we understand that vengeance is of the Lord's, and sometimes people don't like that. They say that shouldn't be in a spiritual book. That shouldn't be a part of God's story because obviously God isn't for violence and He's not for vengeance. Why is that in there? Why would the living God inspire those stories to be put in His book? But you see, the thing is, is if it's not in the book, if we're not really reading about it, then God becomes impersonal and just out there in outer space and can't really relate to the things we really think about, the things that really concern us, the things that actually happen throughout history. And just because it happens in history and just because we think it doesn't mean that's the way God wants it, but it does happen. And we have a God who understands that and who is present with us. And the Psalms really bring this out. The Psalms are about the wonder of who God is, the greatness of God, the power of God, and the righteousness of God. And ultimately, it's about the godness of God. Have you thought about that? Some writer, I don't even know who it was out there. I Googled it, and a lot of people use it, so I don't know where I got it. But the godness of God is the idea. The godness of God is just God and His character being God and how above every other word and description that ultimately is. Because God is God, because of the godness of God, His characteristics, His abilities, His power— He's worthy of our praise and worship. Have you thought about that? He's worthy of our consideration and our complete trust because of who He is. As we look through today's text, we see that in every season of our lives, God is worthy of our praise and worship because of who He is and because of what He does, and, because, and He is worthy of our response to those things in praise. 
And the question we're asking today is this, is how can I praise God when circumstances are good and also when circumstances are not what I had planned? Have you thought about praising God much really? I mean, we, until a few weeks ago, would gather together and praise God in a, in a room and we would sing these songs, you know, most of us. But on your own, do you praise God? Do you sing along? Um, not just to sing along to the tune as Billy sings, but do you actually praise him or even on your own time? Have you thought about that? Have you ever had that experience where you just feel like, I'm gonna praise God for who he is and what he does? The Psalms help us understand why that is something that is good, why it is fitting. And we're going to see that today. First, we praise God because he is worthy, he's worthy of our praise because of who he is. This is the godness of God part. You know, for many people, the problem that they have with God begins when they put God in human terms and they say, well, God did this and I don't think that's fair. Or God did this and that's not how I would have done it. Or God did this and that doesn't seem just to me. I don't understand this part about God, so he must not be God. And all of a sudden, we've made ourselves God. If we could fully understand God, then we would be God, but we can't. His ways are so beyond our ways. His abilities are so beyond what we can even comprehend. And the trouble for a lot of us with God is we lower him so much just so we can criticize him, that we lower him to our level so that we can offer criticism. And that makes no sense if you're considering God. That makes no sense if you're considering the creator of the universe. God is God. And what makes him God ultimately in the beginning is because he's not us, he's above us. And what makes him worthy of our worship and our praise and adoration is first that he is not us, that he is way above who we are. Two things about God I mentioned before, God is transcendent, that, that means that he's above everything else, he's above the whole universe. One way of saying it is that God is transcendent, he is unmatched, there is no comparison to who God is, there's no one like you a God who is wholly other. This is a God who has set the moon and the stars in space, whose glory rises above the heavens. He's a great king above everything else, the entire universe. This is God, he is transcendent, beyond our thinking. He, we're just mind blown when we start to think about this. But also this same God, scriptures teach us that this same God is near. This God who put the moon in its place also knows you knows you personally, knows you better than you know yourself, and is present. You see, the thing is about this God is that he is transcendent, but he is also intimately related with his creation. He's involved. He's a God who hides us under the shadow of his wings, who lifts up the downtrodden from the dust, who cares about the poor, about suffering, and who is worthy to hear our concerns, all of them. The small concerns that might be about your haircut or the big concerns that might be about your health or losing your job or somebody you love who's in trouble. This God is worthy of all of this, and he is near. You see, that's imminence. The idea that you can pray to this God who's the creator of the universe, that you can cry out to him, you can pray to him, you can share your deepest concerns, even your frustrations. That's amazing. That's the God that the psalmists are writing about. That's why when we praise him, it's just natural to do it with song. It's natural to do it with musical instruments that fill our minds full of all kinds of creativity, the best we can to get to who God is, to understand how to praise this being that we can't really understand on the one hand and on the other hand, he is our friend, he is our father, he is with us. 
These are two incredible themes about God that you see all throughout the Scriptures. In Psalm 89, verses 7 and 8, it says, In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround Him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You see, not only are we able to cry out to Him, and not only does He care and want to be involved, but God does something else. He chooses to come be with here, be with us here. He chooses to come be with you. That's a choice that God made to be with you. He's not wandering out there in the universe somewhere and you knocked on the right door and he uh, got to meet you that way. No, he comes to us. And the whole idea of God coming to earth and being with us and preparing a place for us for eternity, for all who believe to be part of his family, that's extraordinary. No other faith or system of belief believes in anything like that. God is always somebody out there, somebody who's mad or somebody who is distant or just somebody who's not even personal, just some kind of cosmic rule that you have to do enough good things to be made in the right way with the universe and however that works. But the God of the Bible, the Christian God, is personal. He knows you and He loves you. We see this all throughout the Scriptures. He is both a God of transcendence and a God of imminence. This is what makes Him God. That is the Godness of God. How do you explain God? Well, he's God. That's the godness of God. It's God. That's why we call him that. He's brilliant. He is holy. He's the perfect radiance who holds all of the creation in his hand. At the same time, he knows you and he cares about you. The scriptures say that he is love. In verse 1, we see why we worship him. It says, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. This is verse 1 of Psalm 33. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. It is fitting. Only a transcendent and imminent God is worthy of your praise and worship. Did you know that? That if He wasn't imminent, if He wasn't transcendent, then maybe He's not worthy. But He is those things, and so He's worthy. See, a God that we create for ourselves, a God that we lower and to put in our own box so that we can find ways to criticize or find ways to disagree, that God is not a God worthy of anything because actually we're better than that God because we created him. You see, a God who is worthy of your praise and worship is a God who is transcendent and a God who is imminent and way above our thinking, but also very personal to you. God is worthy of our worship because of who he is. He is our creator. In verse 6, Psalm 33, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. You know how the Bible begins? In the beginning, God created Five words right there. That's how the Bible begins. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the universe. You ever think about the word universe? You know what it means? Uni-verse. It means one verse. That word refers to this verse right here. In the beginning, God created this verse. You see, if you believe that, it, and I realize there's a lot of people right now you're thinking, oh, is it seven days? Is it six days? Is it how many years? And all the astrophysics and all the science and the biology and all that stuff. Forget all that right now. Just pay attention to this, that God is the one through his word created 
We don't know how he did that. No one can discover that because of the godness of God, because he's transcendent of everything that we can think of. We can do a lot of science and we can begin to understand how things fit together and the miraculous nature of life and all those different things and we're learning so much all the time. I think it's great that we learn that kind of stuff. I think God thinks that's great too. I don't think he likes it when we don't give him credit. I think he doesn't like it when we start to say we can understand and we forget how transcendent he is. And he is all of that. And you know, the reason that there is such a debate about those things ultimately is because if God did create, if in the beginning God created, if those five words are true, then it means that God is worthy of our praise, that God is worthy of all that we have, plain and simple. And see, if that bothers you, then you have to say he didn't create. If God didn't create you and you're not created in his image, then you gotta find some other way it all happened. If you don't wanna worship God, you have to deny that he created you. Because if he didn't, then you don't need to worship him. But if he did, then he deserves all the praise and glory for who he is and for what he did. These first words of the Bible set the stage for a biblical story, and in doing so, they form the foundation of both your Old and New Testament in your scriptures. It's on the basis of the revelation of God that we can build every other thought about God, that he is the creator. It matters greatly to understand this. The psalmist knows this. In verse 9, he tells us that he created by his word, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So great is God's power above all things that his word alone is able to bring things into existence. No assistance was necessary. God does as he pleases. That's incredible. You can't even fathom that. That's the godness of God. Verse 10, he's also overseeing history and not confused by anything. Verse 10, it says, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. God cannot be thwarted. God is not looking down going, oh my gosh, they've shut down all the churches and people can't gather in those buildings and what on earth are we gonna do? Now, you know what's happening? God is bringing more people to him right now in our country and around the world than has happened in a long time. God is bringing you and me closer to him and reminding us of our mission, that it's not the building, it's not the name on the wall, it's not the nonprofit organization. It's you and me and all of us together in the family of God, praising him, worshiping him, loving each other and serving our neighbors and community and demonstrating and announcing the gospel of Jesus Christ that salvation comes through him. That's God's church. And it's not thwarted by a shutdown. It's not thwarted by a virus or a quarantine or anything that the nations can do. That's incredible. That's his godness, his transcendence. You see, we can offer him praise because he is so much greater than anything we can imagine. When you're thinking about praying through the psalm, think about that when you pray. And just praise God for it. Dear God, I can't even think of words that are great enough to praise you for who you are. When you read through the Psalms, you can learn how to pray and praise him. That You don't need to describe everything there is to know about him. Describe what you do know and realize that there's so much more. This is the heart of praising him, why it is fitting for us who know him to be able to do that. Just marvel about how God can do the unexplainable. But that brings us to this next amazing part He is worthy of our praise because of what he does. He sees us. 
He's not detached or disconnected with this world. In his greatness, he sees you. Can you imagine that? Verse 13, from heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. Did you know that God is not, Im- he is not ignorant of your life? He actually does know what you're going through. And he does have time for you. A hard thing to grasp about God is that he is beyond time, that he has an infinite amount of time. That means he has an infinite amount of time for all of your concerns in every part of your life. It's not that he's just busy with people who are trying to work hard in this, this quarantine or people who he, that you might think are more important. Nobody's more important. He is involved in every part of your life. He knows all the hairs that are on your head or the hairs that used to be on your head in many of our cases. He knows all of that. In verse 15, he who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. He's not passive or unconcerned with your life. And ultimately, he saves us. Verse 16, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. He saves us. He acts on our behalf to keep us from destruction. Now, ultimately, in this life, we all will die eventually. But we immediately, if you know him, go right to be with him forever in the place that he has prepared for us. That the worst thing that will ever happen to you is you will die and go be with Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus. That's amazing. That's who our God is. Nothing else is strong enough. He talks about how no king is saved by the size of his army. All these great empires that we see all throughout history, some of them are amazing what they are able to do. But we go see their stuff in ruins and in museums because they're dead and their empires fell and they did not last. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. All of these things, this little tiny virus that we can't see, It's changing the course of the whole world. No king, no president, no leader is able to stop it. And eventually we will recover and we will go through as human beings always had. But you know what? We're still teaching the same gospel. And we still have the same God who was the same before all of this and he'll be the same after all of this. It's the same message. This is our God. He cannot be defeated. And he loves you just the same right now as he did before. And if you're searching for him for the first time, maybe the first time ever, or maybe the first time in a long time, know this, that you have nothing to hide from him because he already knows. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, knowing everything there is to know about you. Everything. He loves you that much. Do not be afraid to share your life with him. He already knows anyway. You ever have to tell somebody something like your parent or a spouse, something you did wrong and you're just worried about it. You're worried about what you're going to say. You practice how you're going to say it. And then you finally tell them and they go, oh, I already know about that. Isn't that a relief? That's the greatest thing. That's God. You're going to tell him your stuff and he's going to say, yeah, I already know about that. And he still invites you to visit his throne of grace. He invites you to be welcomed into his family when you believe in Jesus. That's amazing. That's the real God. That's the living God. 
It says here, he keeps us alive in famine. I don't think I've ever read that the same way I'm reading it right now. I mean, we're not exactly in our country experiencing famine, at least not, not yet, but this is the closest thing maybe that we've ever been to. I mean, the closest thing I'm seeing as far as famine goes is there's a few things that, you know, we're out of in the grocery stores if you've been out there. Um, the famine, I guess, I've experienced is I try to go to Costco to get stuff for the family, and I'm missing the sample ladies. There's definitely a famine of the samples and all of that stuff, and, uh, you know, I don't know if that's ever going to come back. I'm going to be so disappointed if that's true. I hope the sample ladies come back. I'm going to write a letter. But I digress. Think about this time that he is able to keep us alive in this famine. If you're struggling with things or worried about things, you know what? There's help for you. We have a care line. We told you about it at the beginning. We'll tell you about it again at the end. Contact us. Or if you're in another town watching this, you might be anywhere in the world watching this. Pray and ask God for help. I'll bet that there is somebody there representing the kingdom of God who can help you. There is help. Pray to him and ask him for that help and recognize that his presence will help you through all of this stuff. Lastly, God is worthy of our response and praise. You know, a lot of what I've been talking about is kind of theological. He's transcendent. That's a big word. He's imminent. It just seems like those are the best words for that. And you might be saying, maybe you've been in church a long time. You're saying, oh yeah, I know he's transcendent. God is everywhere. And probably as a kid, you learned, well, he's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's om-, you know, all those things. But you know what? Think about this for a minute. That the living God, the God who made the universe, but the God who also knows you and knows everything about you, he's worthy of a response from you a response of praise. Do you give him that? Like really give him that in your heart, in the words that you say. Psalm 33 begins this way with worship as a response. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of 10 strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves the righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. You know, what is the response, ultimately? It's not just singing a song. It's not going through the routine of of church worship. It's trust. It's trusting that his words are true, that he really is the God that I'm speaking of, the God that is explained here in the scriptures, that that really is who he is, that he actually is the creator who spoke things into existence, that he actually is the God who loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, that he actually is the God who knows you so well that you don't have to be afraid to bring anything to him because he already knows it, that he is that involved in your life. You see, trust is what a worshipful response is all about. In verse 20, Psalm 33, we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. You see, ultimately the way you worship God is you trust him. You trust him that his promises are going to be true for you. You trust him because his promises have already been true throughout history. And you trust him because of his greatness and his love. And you trust. You do that with your life. 
not just a religious ritual that you might do, but you do it with your life. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. God is worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your response to who He is and the things that He's done and His presence in your life. In song, yes, for sure. He loves the songs. You know, he talks about the instruments to use. I think it's because God just loves it. Sing a new song to the Lord. I think he likes new stuff. You ever sing the same song over and over and over again? It might be meaningful for you, but eventually you start to think about other things while you're singing it because it just comes out. He likes new stuff. Sing to him something new. Find a new song that you like. Find new ways to praise him. I'll tell you how you can do that a little bit in just a minute, but the imminence of God it means that he is right there to be known and that he knows you. It's not just that he knows you, but that he's right there, that he's near to you right now. He's near to you in comfort. He's near to you in strength. He's near to you where if you need wisdom to ask him. He's near to you to help give you rest. He's near to you to encourage you and to be present with you. It's an amazing thing about God that he wants to be with us, that this is a God who wants to be with us. And he wants to be, and he is, with you. His transcendence means that his promises are true and that he is trustworthy. And all of this means that his gospel is that he made this relationship with God real and possible through Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life on your behalf, who walked on this earth living a perfect life that you've tried to live and couldn't, that all human beings have tried to live, and it filled a hole in us that said, we need to do something. We need to pay for this debt of our imperfection. We need to, we have some kind of spiritual angst that needs to be filled somehow. It's filled by Jesus Christ. Jesus who lived the perfect life on your behalf, who died to pay the debt to sin, the debt to guilt that you carry around. It's paid for by Christ on the cross. The Psalms show us that we are able to worship this God. And history shows us that his promises are true and they're coming true the promises that are still there to be, uh, to be lived through, to be seen. We can worship God in every season and every circumstance because of who he is. There's never a time when God is not worthy of your worship. And I think that's something important because sometimes, and I've noticed this with Christians, and all of us have moments of being very cynical. As I get older, I get cynical. I have to struggle with that sometimes. I went to a pastor's conference a while ago. It was all lead pastors. And uh, the speaker said, how many of you are struggling with cynicism? All of us put our hands up. And you know why that becomes a sinful thing in our life? It's because somewhere in that cynicism is a lack of trust that God is in control. Somewhere in the cynicism where we take a look at how things are going or what things ought to be like, it's sort of like, you know what? Uh, Maybe it's not going the way I would do it. Maybe it's not the way I think it ought to be done. But God's in control. Don't be cynical. God is in control. History is going to culminate exactly the way God has told us it will. So trust Him in every season and worship Him. The scariest thing to me as a believer is when Christians decide, I'm not going to worship God. And sometimes they say, well, I'm just not going to go to church or I'm not going to participate in the worship or I don't like the music or I don't like the music guy or I don't like the way this guy over here and he's sitting there and I don't want to be in the room with that guy and suddenly it just gets to be kind of nasty and this happens. You know what the scariest thing is? Is that one day God's going to say, so why didn't you worship me? What are you going to say? Worship God 
and be serious about it. God knows your heart with it. There's a guy years ago, he wrote this book and he said, well, I don't go to church. I worship God on the golf course on Sunday morning. You do? Really? I mean, that's between you and the Lord. Ultimately, God knows. I've been on the golf course and sometimes I worship God on the golf course. Sometimes I say things on the golf course that I don't think please God very much, usually around the 17th hole. We have to be really honest with ourselves about whether we're worshiping God. It is fitting that you as a believer worship Him. God wants us to worship Him together. And even in times like this where maybe we're just together with people in the room, great, do that. And He also wants our worship when we're by ourselves, when we just have this moment in prayer and praise to worship God. Make sure you are really doing that and not finding an excuse not to do it. God is transcendent and imminent. If we feel like there's a reason not to worship God, then maybe we don't believe that. And that's a scary thought. This is the God who loves you and who loves everybody you know. Worship Him and praise Him. Let me give you some takeaways. The first one is this. We need to worship God in every season of life. When everything is going great for you, praise Him. When things are difficult, trust Him. When you are in sin, confess those sins to Him. When you are filled with pain, lament to Him. Many of these psalms are about lament and just crying out to God in frustration. When you are mistreated, tell God that you're angry and then pray through it and then forgive as He forgives you. And when you see God's blessings, give Him thanks. Give Him your gratitude. That's your first takeaway is worship in every season of your life. The second one is let the psalms teach you how. All those things I just mentioned, praise and trust and confession, lament, anger and praying and thankfulness, all of those things, you get them all in the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. It can take you uh, quite a few days if you had read just one a day. A couple of Psalms, you might need a couple of days. Psalm 119, check it out. Break that up into a couple. But you know what? When you go through these Psalms, they will teach you how to pray. They will. They will teach you how to praise God in the depths of your heart and who you really are. They will teach you how to know God and they will teach you how well He knows you and how patient He is with you. It's great. You can start with Psalm 1 and just read. In fact, this if you've got a lot of time, especially at home, it's a great idea. Just read one psalm a day. Take you a few minutes. If you've got a phone, a smartphone, download a Bible app, and then you always have it with you. So if you happen to be out somewhere or you're just sitting there, you're probably staring at your phone anyway, Punch the Bible app, go to Psalms, read one Psalm a day. Most of them just take you a few minutes. And then you know what? The third thing is this, is read one every day and pray through it. Find one that speaks to you and where you are right now and take a moment not just to read it, but pray through it. And just put yourself in the shoes of the person writing that and pray through every verse. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He's faithful in all he does you can pray that and just start thanking God for how he's been faithful to you. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. You can read that and just pray and go, God, you're so far beyond what I can even imagine. You are so great and magnificent. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. God, I'm so glad that you're in charge and that I'm not. God, I am so glad that you're in charge and Donald Trump isn't. I am so glad that you're in charge and Gavin Newsom isn't. Even though God put those people to be overseeing our place for him right now, ultimately, whatever they do, right or wrong, aren't you glad that God is actually in charge? 
Praise him for that. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. God, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. That prays really well, doesn't it? And there's a lot of that in the Psalms. Do that. Be aware of the Lord's presence in your life right now. And if you're hearing all of this and you're saying, I just want to know this God, what I want you to do is a couple of things. Number one, if you want to follow Jesus, it's as easy as ABC in this sense. Admit that you're a sinner, that you need God. Admit that you're not perfect. Just admit that. God, I need you. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's the only Savior available. He died, lived a perfect life, died for the punishment of your sins and mine, and he rose again from the grave. He rose again. He's the one the psalmists are pointing to. He's the one that your calendar points back to. All of history is revolving around Jesus Christ. Have you noticed? You know why? Because he came up out of the grave. That doesn't happen. If you're going to trust somebody, trust the guy who comes up from the grave, not the one who's still in it. Believe in Jesus Christ that he died for you and rose again. And then see, commit to him. Commit to following him. Say, Lord, I commit to following you today. We'd love to follow up with you with that. Or maybe there's somebody in the room with you right now who can help you with that. Or a neighbor or somebody that you know. And you can go to our website, go to Grace City Church slash live stream to find a way that you can actually respond right now to that. Or just go to either one of our church's websites, First Baptist Church of San Diego, fbcsd.com, or gracecitysd.com. Connect with us that way. We'd love to help you through this process of getting to know Jesus and beginning your walk with Him or strengthening your walk with Him or renewing your walk with Him wherever you are today. And I encourage you to learn more about this great God by getting into his word. We'll send you a Bible. We will help you with this. Please contact us and let us know. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for who you are. God, we praise you for your transcendence, for being so much greater than us, greater than anything we know, greater than the whole universe. God, we marvel at this. And yet as great as you are and powerful as you are, you know each and every one of us because you are near. God, I pray that right now everybody listening becomes aware of your nearness, aware of your presence, that all of this stuff that is so scary in our world today, so uncertain, none of it has unraveled who you are or your plans. I pray, Lord, that it has instead cleared the deck that it helps all of us refocus on you and what we are called to do and called to be. God, I ask that you make every person listening to this aware of your presence and your love for them right now. And that we would learn to pray. And that just like the psalmist tells us here, we wait and hope for the Lord, that you are our help and our shield, that in you our hearts rejoice, Lord, for we trust in your holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. I pray that's true for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.